Testing one, two. Testing, testing. You can hear yourself, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's working. We're not having any snafus. But aren't you going to ask me to touch it? Touch it. Touch it. You Howdy, you everybody. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm Robert. Did it again. Did it again. I'm Ira. And this is Money Shot. And this week, it's just you and me again, buddy. Oh, I kind of like that. It's the way, you know, it's very, it just feels organic and yeah. natural. I got to be alone with you in your mm-hmm. home. Yeah. It's just the musk, mm-hmm. the man musk in like this place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Is that what you're smelling? I noticed you put your hand a little further up my knee this time than you usually Did do. You, were you aware of In that? the movie. Should we tell people that we hold hands during the film? <laughs> no, we should not tell people. Oh, okay. That. All right, scratch. Edit that out, Robert. <laughs> um, all right. So this week we got a big movie coming out. Get that big movie? Uh, oh, that's good. It's yeah. Colossal. Colossal is a uh, a movie that we're going to be reviewing here in a little bit. But first of all, before we get to that, I also want to talk about our top five for the week. Our top five for this week is. Friendly monster movies. Right. Now, we've done monster movies That's in right. the past. That's right. So we thought this time we'd throw a little twist on things and talk about the top five friendly monster yeah. movies. Yeah. And before we do any of that, ah. of course, as per usual, we got to talk about some fan mail. So this week we got a couple of uh, just some small little nuggets that I pulled from some of the stuff we got. This person says, uh, I'm afraid your Furious was not that fast. It looks like you're parked in the garage. I think this is in reference to oh, the Instagram funny. photo that we had put up there. Um, we always take some, a uh, couple stupid yet interesting, <laughs> uh, Instagram photos and, uh, and announce it. I like our Instagram feed. It's kind of interesting. Absolutely. Interesting, so, interesting, Instagram. interesting. Uh, but yeah, I guess the, the photo that we took didn't look like we were going that fast. Well, what did this, what did this viewer want? This writer want? Did he want us to actually be going 90 miles an hour on the 101 freeway? I, I guess they wanted us to avoid missiles and oh, yeah. avoid submarines. Heat-seeking breach. missiles. That's right. And how did they know it was a heat-seeking missile? Oh, he just knew. He could see it. As but our yeah, guest pointed a, out last week. It was a staged week. photo, though. Right. That's, that's right. the reference. Yeah, right. we shot it in your, in your garage. Yeah, nice comment. Yeah. 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 Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> nice comment. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Uh, this other listener says, I can't believe you wasted a perfectly good opportunity to see a good movie to go see The Fast and the Drivelous. <laughs> I guess we could have seen something else. But you know what? No, we had to. I think we did. We had to. We made the right choice. And we talked about that on we the Escalator. A- Do you remember that conversation? We had this conversation on the way to see the movie. Is that... Uh, we have a responsibility to Absolutely. go see movies, and good again, movies I think, and bad movies. I think, I think I mentioned this last week, too, when I sent you a text in the mid-afternoon before we got together hmm. to see the movie. I sent one sentence. I said, I don't want to see this movie. Mm. And you wrote back, neither do I, but we have to. Yeah. Boom. I, I think, uh, you know, reviewing movies, you, you have to be even-handed about it. We can't pick and choose. Right. Well, we can. But we can, but... We have uh, to be objective. I think it also adds a little something to the flavor of things. You know, when you're picking movies that may not be the best movies and and how do you review some of those movies look i i've i've said it a thousand times in this podcast i like almost everything that we talk about almost all of the movies but there are occasionally some movies that come out that are hard to watch and that one last night or last week rather was uh was a little hard to watch yeah i loved it too near the end of the podcast when you asked us was there one thing about the movie that you liked? If so, what was it? And we got real quiet. Remember that? All yeah. three of us, we like looked at each other. <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was a great moment. 
<laughs> and and yet, I think I read that they're going to be uh, doing spinoffs. I think Jason Statham and The Rock are going to have their own Furious spinoff. That's right. There's two more. Yeah. This is the first of a trilogy. I right. Think, yeah. And then there's then they're going to be doing spinoffs on top of that. Right. Yeah. So shoot, shoot me now. It's going to be. It's going to be Star Wars and Furious movies from now on. Yeah. Yeah. What does that say about the current state of cinema that uh, it's really becoming very much like television? I mean, really, all we're, we're not watching for the plot anymore. We're really only watching for these characters, which is television. And television is becoming a lot like film used to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have very edgy characters who are actually, I mean, when you look at films like Breaking Bad, you have this uh, long, twisted uh, plot of a character who goes from, uh, you know, from from good to to bad, like you know, being a high school teacher to, to being a drug dealer, and the you know the the plot that, that he takes in order to get there, the story that that takes, that's cinema, and it's interesting that we're we're switching. Absolutely, antihero is now it's not prevalent in TV, but it's it's there. And even the and way it wasn't there five yeah. or ten years ago. And the way that we're watching television even is is different because so many people are binge watching right. it now. Right. And Netflix releases Orange is the new black and people just watch all the episodes mm-hmm. in a weekend. You know, you just reserve a Saturday, Sunday and say, okay, I'm gonna catch up with the entirety of this show. And there you are. Which again is very cinema-like. Yes, the ability it's just to sitting do down that. and right. watching the right. whole thing, right? Which is not how television had normally been. That's right. Thought to be consumed, it was the idea of reruns made sense because you would have these this, the same kind of plot, the same kind of tired old shtick. Because you didn't think that everybody was was watching. If people missed an episode, then it, it was like, well, we kind of want to give this flavor, this kind of feel for a television show. It's interesting. It is. It is. They're crossing over, crisscross. It's, is that healthy? I don't know. I, 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 I don't think it's not healthy. Hmm. It's not, not, not it's healthy. It's not, not. So we, now we have a triple negative. <laughs> uh, I, I love the idea of some big wig in the studios. <laughs> Just uh, pitching that to everybody else and all the, the suits Behind the scenes at Warner Brothers going, guys, I've got it. We're going to take television to cinema. We're going to take cinema to television. These pictures are going to be like, <laughs> the, he's got a big cigar hanging out of his I was just going to say you need a cigar in your yeah, mouth. Yeah, big yeah. stogie hanging yeah, out. Yeah. And uh, we're going to take all these pictures and we're going to put them on the little screen, yeah, see? Yeah. Now you're sounding New York Jew, but that's you know, part of it. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. The guys who run yeah. Warner Brothers. Was that <laughs> not clear? Oh, my gosh. All right. All right, so this week we're going to talk about Colossal. May I go off on an Ira tangent? Uh, of course. May I? Hey, you know what? This is our podcast. We can yeah. do whatever the fuck we, we want. Whatever we want. Yeah, we can even yeah. do this. Fuck, 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 We can do that. <laughs> That's very good, Robert. <laughs> we need to acknowledge that it is the 50th year anniversary of my favorite film of all mm. time, and I know it's you're, you have a high on a pedestal mm-hmm. too, The Graduate. And I, I want to say that um, I remember vividly, once again, I'm a little bit older than you, and I saw it in a theater in 1967. Only marginally older. Only marginally older. In a theater in 1967, and I remember watching it with Kathy Solomon. And I remember driving home, and I commented to her on Wilshire Boulevard, right at Barrington, and I said, you know, the last shot in that movie... 
where they're not looking into each other's eyes in love. It was a little bit more of a, like, what the fuck did we just do? And I didn't use the word ambiguous at that time because I don't think I knew that word. Mm-hmm. But look how that ending stayed with me and um, is as powerful today as it was 50 years ago. I love that ending of yeah, that movie. Yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect. I think we, we may have, you and I, I think, spoke about this. I read an essay just on the ending mm-hmm. where uh, uh, Nichols wanted, the, just had the camera run for 18 minutes in trying all these different emotions and extracted those 23 seconds to put at the end of the film. He tried everything, the looking into one another's eyes, the hugging, the kissing, bewilderment, and now don't share eye contact, misfire. And that was one that they obviously um, grasped and used. Hmm. Yeah, interesting, huh? I, not only is the last shot of that movie compelling, the last 20 minutes are some of the best in cinema history. They really are solid. Absolutely. Uh, it's one of these films, if, if, if anyone's listening and you haven't seen The Graduate, watch it. And, and I can admit, there are some moments in that film that, that may not grab modern viewers necessarily. I, I, th- I, I think most of it will, but the last... What, 30 minutes of it? Isn't that how long it is? The last 30 minutes are just so fucking compelling, and it's great storytelling. Elaine! Yeah. It's so good. And it almost becomes a parody of itself now because it's been talked about and and copied and pasted into so many different other um, medium, The Simpsons, and everybody does their version. Wayne's World that you mentioned, yeah, right. And everybody does their version. But the last few minutes of that movie is, they're so solid. It's great. Yep, yep, it is. It is. Um, I was at a um, a party many years ago, and well, first I should tell you that I used to drive a red Alfa Romeo, mm. and um, and I had a license plate, and it had the word plastics, which was an important. Right, it's in the first third plastics. of the movie. Plastics. I got one word for you: plastics. Enough said. And uh, it, obviously, that word being a metaphor for a plastic society, and da da right. da. And uh, I was at a party, and I I met Lawrence Terman, who had produced it. And I told him about my Alfa Romeo with the word plastics. And he's, he was genuinely, I think he was genuinely pleased. And he smiled. <laughs> he, he probably turned around, what an asshole. <laughs> he's probably like, great, could you just take two steps back, please? You're kind of invading my, my space No, he was here. smiling. We shook hands and he was, uh-huh. he, at least he was giving me that illusion. I don't know if it was sincere. Well, but why like are you taking food off of my plate? <laughs> you, I also, in addition. Wait, hold on. Yeah, how, did yeah, you, yeah. how did you meet him? You met him at a party, you said? Uh, his wife. Uh, his wife was a, a singer, and mm. this was at a club in Santa Monica. Strip and club? with my then no, I was yeah. and she was doing torch songs, and this was with my then writing partner Marilyn, and she asked me to go with her, and uh, there was her husband Lawrence Terman. She even sang a song called "My Mister Producer Man." <laughs> that was what she was that bad, but um, but it was great meeting Lawrence, and he's the one who optioned the book and took mm. it, and he did all that. It's quite a film. And again, I know we are off on a quick tangent. Maybe it's not all that quick. But um, the cinematography, the music, the music. And those songs were out, and they were popular. They were not written for The Graduate, obviously, with the sounds of silence. Except for the one, right? Mrs. Robinson, which was actually called Mrs. Roosevelt. It was Mrs. Roosevelt, and they changed the name to Mrs. Robinson. How about that? Hmm. Yeah, so... um, the songs were uh, written prior to the film, and it was such an important landmark film and, and interesting discussions about Benjamin. Uh, is he a nice guy? Would you like him as a friend, or is he a little bit arrogant? I always thought a little bit like Holden Caulfield. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that almost segues beautifully into the film that we saw today. Although, 
Never mind. You know right. what? Let's talk but, about The but, Graduate just a little bit longer. No, no. I finally got Netflix. Oh. And I just want to say that I'm watching Gems. Oh. And I happen to That's watch... That's a great show. Gem? No, not... The, the cartoon from the 80s about the thing? Work with me here. Oh, okay. Cham- the, the Chambermaid. And it took its time. It was a German film. It played in the festival circuit and did mm. very well. Uh, a maid who was uh, very voyeuristic, and she'd hide under the beds and people uh, in their hotel rooms. But what I want to say to you, Robert, and you're giving me a funny look, that it, remember one of my criticisms of the movie last week was that it didn't breathe. Mm-hmm. This movie was breathing. It mm-hmm. took its time. It unfolded. We got to know her. And it was so refreshing after what we saw last week. And also the other night, for what it's worth, on Netflix I saw... Uh, uh, the human uh, centipede. Uh, the human centipede? centipede, but we don't have to talk about no. that. No, okay. uh, are right, you now, fucking crazy? Talk. We're not gonna we're gonna sit here and talk about the chambermaid. We're not gonna talk about <laughs> human centipede. You saw that movie, didn't you? Of course, I saw yeah. that. Yeah. I didn't see the chambermaid, but yeah. I did see the human centipede. Yeah. What did you think? That was hard. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that Nazi uh, German guy yeah. sure did have a good idea. It's quite disturbing. And yeah. fascinating. Now, did you see part two? No, but I will tonight. Mm. And there's a third one, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hear they get progressively worse and worse. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. Maybe they get more outlandish, mm. but the idea of... Uh, the simplicity of the first one is, is really the more disturbing one, where you're kind of like, this is pretty fucked up. The other ones are, are clever in a certain way, in a certain light. They bring a little something interesting to it, but... The first one just had the... It, it almost felt real, I guess. Right. I hear in one of the sequels, there's 500 people attached to mm. one another. It's set in a prison. Yes. Yeah. You did see it. All right. I just wanted to share my Netflix experience. I, I went through a phase. Did we talk about my phase where I, I was trying to watch all of the, the most disturbing movies of all time? Have I told you about this? No. Like movies that you really... You need a rape shower after you're done sure. watching them. And like a Silkwood shower. You know, remember mm-hmm. Silkwood? Sure. That kind of shower where you're like, Ugh, I can't get the dirt off. And there's a few movies out there. Um, there's one that's very highly acclaimed called uh, Sodom, 120 Days of... Wait, Sodom 100... Is that what it's called? Why am I blanking on the name? Uh, no, what's it called? Hold on, I have it. Hang on one second. Let me uh, grab it. I've got it. Okay, now he's going to look, so I'm going to tap dance. I can do my John Wayne impression. I've got it. Uh, Robert, we're going to edit this out, aren't we? No. Yes, we will. We have. Oh, he's coming back. It's okay. Solo. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's called Solo. It's, uh, see, I can't even get in here. It's called uh, 120 Days of Sodom, and it's about the uh, Marquis de Sade's, um, Oh, let me see if I can read it. The notorious final film from Pier Paolo Pasolini, Solo, or The 120 Days of Sodom, has been called nauseating, shocking, depraved, pornographic. It's also a masterpiece. Let's watch it now. <laughs> While we record. The controversial <laughs> poet, novelist, and filmmaker, filmmaker's transposition of the Marquis de Sade's 18th century opus of torture and degradation to the fascist Italy in 1944 remains one of the most passionate, debated films of all time, a thought-provoking inquiry into the political, social, and sexual dynamics that define the world we live in. It's really interesting, and uh, I think you would like it and also be very disturbed by it. Disturbing films. Surely you're including uh, Freaks, One of Us. Freaks? Freaks, One of Us, One of... 
Juana the circus taking Juana us. Yeah. us. Yeah, the chicken. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. That yeah. one's pretty Todd, disturbing, too. Yeah, Todd Browning. See? Todd mm-hmm. Browning. Yeah, these. There's okay. a, the, have you ever seen a Serbian film? That's what it's called, a Serbian film? No. That one's pretty messed up, too. And uh, Martyrs. There's a French film called Martyrs. Irreversible. Those are my, those are my disturbing movies. We need more disturbing movies. I love disturbing movies. I love, I love a good touch of fucked up in a movie. Did, yeah. we, did we see that this evening? I think we did a little How's bit. How's that for a segue? That, now, that, I like that. And I think that's what I liked about this movie. Uh-huh. So I'm going to tip my okay, hand kind of early. I liked this movie. I did too. So without a, okay, further let's ado, do it. let's, let's do talk it. about it. Let's talk about Colossal. Okay, so you want to talk about it? No, I, you're so good at synopsis. You right. really are. So Colossal is about a um, uh, Anne Hathaway's character who becomes, she's very drunk. She gets kicked out of her uh, Manhattan apartment with her boyfriend uh, for partying and drinking too much. And so she goes back home to live in her hometown. And while she's there, she runs into her old, uh, not boyfriend, but like an old friend from her elementary years, uh, played by Jason Sudeikis, Sudeikis, and he, uh, his character's name is Oscar, and Oscar befriends her and takes her in and gives her a job at the bar, but she's been struggling with her alcohol, so uh, she's, she's not quite sure about what to do with this job, and all of a sudden she finds out that she, whenever she goes to this playground, a monster appears, she has to go there at just this specific time, a monster appears in Seoul, Korea. And apparently, after a period of experiments, she starts to figure out that she controls the monster. So every action that she has, the monster has. And the problem is that she doesn't know where she is in Seoul, so if she kicks the dirt on the playground, then thousands of people die. She shares this with Oscar, who then uh, kind of, they don't believe her at first. A few of the uh, kind of bar patron friends are hanging around, and they all... uh, finally believe, oh my gosh, she has this ability and when Oscar reaches into the the playground to kind of save her and pull her out uh, then all of a sudden Oscar shows up in Seoul, Korea he has a, uh, what would you call that like a moniker, an avatar, I guess, a real life avatar, Ira's nodding feverishly. Oh, you're right (laughs) they can't see my nod (laughs) and uh, and then Oscar's avatar I guess it's an avatar is a uh, is a robot, right? So mm-hmm. a big, huge, monster robot, and they're destroying thousands of lives and buildings in Korea. And they start to realize that uh, you know what are the ramifications of controlling these monsters that could destroy cities. And pretty soon it starts to get pretty dark and twisted as Oscar starts to blackmail. Anne Hathaway's character to stay in this small little town. She's decided that she kind of wants to leave. She wants to go back. She wants to give everything up and not have this monster thing hanging over her head. And he decides to blackmail her and, and keep her there and says, if you leave, I'm going to come out to this playground every morning at 8.05 and start killing people in Seoul. So uh, that's kind of the, the story. Am I missing key Are you elements? stopping at that point? You don't want to go to the last 20 minutes? No. Well, why don't you take it for no, the last 20 no, you're minutes? you're so good at this. I'd like to, you know, but... I, the ending, was the ending what you expected it to be? No, I, not at all. What ending did you think? I didn't know what to expect. And maybe that's naive or gullible of me, but I guess, okay, I, I purposely didn't 
know much about this movie going into it. I tried to to know very little. I knew it was about a, a monster that she controlled, but I didn't know anything else other than that. And I like the idea of... Um, I like going into movies like that, especially this kind of film, because you don't know where this movie is headed. People that say, oh, yeah, I saw the movie, the ending of that coming from way off. No, you didn't. And if you did, you're one of the few that had a very lucky guess. And you, these are the kinds of films that are hard to predict because they're you know, written and directed by the same author. So it's, uh, it's kind of a, a single voice of, of an artist. And it's hard to predict how an artist would paint a painting. And this is the same way, because uh, the, this is the same writer-director. It's one voice, one, one vision. And I think it's hard to sit there and say, oh, this is what that artist is, gonna th- is thinking is the plot line. And that's, uh, that's difficult to do, I think. So anyway, do you want to talk about what happens in the last 20 minutes? I'd rather you do. Okay, so Anne Hathaway decides, okay, uh, in order to stop the Oscar. Oscar's blackmailing of her. She decides she's going to catch a flight to Seoul. She shows up in Seoul, and as Oscar starts destroying buildings, uh, she starts walking around in Seoul and figures that her monster avatar is going to show up in this small town. Was it, was it Pennsylvania, Connecticut, or something? something I don't think like they that. really ever said where it was. Right, but. Uh, this her monster is going to show up in <clears throat> her old hometown, which does happen. And the problem now becomes she doesn't know where he is in this on this playground because she's in Seoul, but her avatar is in Connecticut, we'll say. And she looks down. Uh, she's looking around and she notices that the robot avatar who is right in front of her in Seoul starts to become scared. So she reaches down and starts to chase about where the robot right, would right. be to try to grab Oscar uh, using her avatar. So she's basically thousands of miles away, but using uh, just her best guesswork, she's able to kind of figure out where Oscar would be standing if he, where he is on this playground. She's able to use her avatar, her monster avatar to grab him and then flings him off into the hills and never to be seen from again, presumably dead. She saves the day and she wanders into a bar and yeah. the bartender says, you know, oh my gosh, it's all kind of over and everything. And Anne Hathaway says, yeah, let me tell you a story. Bartender says, sure. Do you want a drink? Boom. And that was the great little button right, on the whole right. thing. I thought, I thought Anne Hathaway's character was going to kill the guy, the robot control, and then kill herself. I That's didn't see how else that was going to be resolved. Yeah. I didn't see it. But it was, you know what's interesting, Robert? Pitching, taking us through it like you just did it in broad strokes, it sounds, it would sound stupid yeah. to me. Why did this movie work? Why did this, I mean, this, it, it, I think there were a few things. That's a great question, by the way. I think you. it worked partly because there were some, um, there were some really lighthearted moments in it. There was some really funny humor, uh, the, the, the gag that got me cracking up the most was, uh, when Anne Hathaway is standing in the playground across from uh, 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 from Oscar, she she smacks him, and then the avatars in Seoul, the monster smacks the robot, 
And then that, of course, makes the news because everyone's going, oh, my gosh, these monsters are fighting. And someone, of course, had edited together this the, the clip with, um, you know, the, the 8-bit sunglasses falling down from the sky and landing on his, his head and, you know, chains coming up and then a joint in his mouth and everything. And that, those kind of that kind of. That concept is so human, and that that is what made me just die laughing. Which was was pop culture, right? Thug life, right? right? Yeah, it's but not just the fact that it said thug life, but the fact that that's totally what would happen, right? Right. It's so accurate. There would be somebody out there who goes, "Oh man, that's a total thug life meme," yeah, and then they would put that together and throw it up on YouTube, and it would generate millions and millions of hits. So, yeah, I love that moment. That was great. I know he laughed out loud. There's so many lighthearted moments like that that are just very, very realistic. And that can really be applied to other scenes throughout the entire movie. You're right. The premise of the film, really, when you pitch it, like how I just pitched it, it's ridiculous. It seems like a comic book movie. But I think also it's kind of a satire on those genre movies. Yes. It, it was something different. It, I think one of the things that happens when we do watch these superhero movies that a few people are often asking, which is when, when all of the um, Iron Man and, and uh, the Hulk and, and Superman and Batman, they're all fighting and buildings are getting destroyed when Transformers just, uh, just mow down entire cities. We're kind of look at that going, aren't thousands of people dead right now? Perhaps millions? Like you're, you're really killing a lot of people and not addressing it. And I do think that this film at least it addressed addresses it. Oh, it. it did. Her guilt for killing a few hundred people. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's also a, a essentially a superhero movie in a way, but it's very small. This was a very small, intimate film. It was. It, it felt like an, a, a mumblecore. It felt like an independent film in many ways. Yes. It, and, and even the monsters were borderline cheesy. Mm-hmm. Which made it more charming. I think the fact it made that it better, not yeah, charming, but it added to the whole. Yeah, feel. I get what you mean. But I think you have to make them a little cheesy like that, so that we understand what medium we're playing with. I mean, if you made really badass monsters, then I think it starts to become too much. It's a little over the right. It's like it's beyond the genre that it's playing with. I think it's a critique on that monster genre, and um, you know, what if. What if you were in control of these monsters? You know, how would you react? How would you use your power? And I, I do think that there's something there. I think it's, um, I, I think there's something within the film talking about how Anne Hathaway was a, at her core, a good person. And this other guy who we thought for most of the movie, Oscar, was a good person, turned out to be a really awful person. And I think that's a, a really interesting yin-yang dichotomy there. I love that. I, oh, by the way, kudos to the actor. Yeah. Kudos to the actor. Yeah, Jason Sudeikis. It was Sudeikis. a 180 degree. He became such a dick. Yeah. And it was, for me, it was unexpected. Yeah, I really, I thought he was going to be the right. romantic and hero very, at very the end. Vanil- he was very vanilla in right. the movie. And look what happened. You don't see that very often in movies where there's one character who you're projecting, okay, this is going to be this kind of character, and then halfway through, they just flip it on you. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, films like Taxi Driver, we get that a little bit, but he was always a little unhinged, you know, in ta- Travis Bickle and Taxi Driver, so you never really knew which way he was going to go. But in this film, I think it, I think they did a really nice job of 
of zigging when we thought they were going to zag. Right, right. What do you think? What are, what are your thoughts about the movies? I'm Obviously, sure you had some well, thoughts. I w- these, the, the sci-fi movies of the 50s, which was a playful homage or wink to these films, these monster movies, were were metaphors. Mm-hmm. And with Godzilla, obviously, it was, you know, we're on the brink of nuclear war or experimentation with radioactivity or, mm-hmm. or invasion of body snatchers. With, uh, we spoke about this being a metaphor for the McCarthy era. And this, I think, being a metaphor, too, for um, anxiety. Mm-hmm. It was a shift. It was, it was more internalized. It was more internalized. Yeah. And by the way, the premise made sense about the three-quarters mark into the film where they explained, okay, what happened here and why is this happening when we saw the flashbacks right. of the two of them as children. And it did, I, I bought it. I, 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 I bought the whole thing at that point. It worked. I, I do think that you're right about metaphor. I want to go back to yeah, that concept. Yeah. I, I think this film is dealing with metaphor. Um, and before I say my interpretation of the film, I think what's really interesting, when I, when I was in um, grad school, one of the things that we talked about is when you study film, it becomes very easy to just uh, attach yourself to one approach, like an auteur approach, which is to say that the director or the writer is the one that determines what the film means. And that's one approach, but there's other approaches to reading films and your approach is never wrong. It's just a different reading of the, of the text in this case, the film. And I took this film and, and perhaps the director would totally disagree with me, but I took this film to really be a metaphor about drinking in a lot of ways. There was so much discussion about alcohol. Uh, she clearly had a problem with drinking and even the last look and, in the last moment was really kind of a, are we really going to do this? Uh, you know, Anne Hathaway's look of, oh, brother. Like, that's kind of what started all of this in the first place. And I read that as a very anti-alcohol mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, I mean, people have referenced alcohol as being a monster before. I, I don't, I'm not really, I, I, I do see some parallels there. I'm yeah. not convinced that that was an accident. And, and like you said, in alcohol, drinking was throughout the whole film. Yes. And it, was and it, was and it took place at a bar. Yes. And this was All a heavy component to the story. Mm-hmm. This wasn't just, oh, yeah, let's have a couple drinks. No. It was a heavy component. Robert, look at the opening scene with the, uh, the first boyfriend. Right. You know, where he kicks her out because she was drunk. Right. Yeah. So it was throughout the whole film. You're right. And it, it almost made me question as we were watching the film if any of that stuff in Korea was actually happening or if it was all part of her massive delusions because she clearly was an alcoholic to the point, I mean, she had... She had no recollection of what she was saying to different people. She was blacking out. Yeah, you're bringing me a TV? She didn't recall things. She had huge ramifications for her behavior. So, I mean, that that would define her both culturally and medically as an addict. I mean, she was addicted to it. One of the least realistic parts of the whole film for me, not just the monsters, but the fact that she didn't have the shakes after uh, she had stopped drinking for a few days, she seemed to just be okay drinking water. To me, I'm going, no way, not this this character. I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not the most unrealistic part of the movie, but one of the most unrealistic. Um, but I, I really was reading that as, as a text about alcohol. I've always, um, it, it should be noted, I don't drink. I've never drank alcohol. And um, to me... I've always felt like alcohol is probably the most destructive drug that's out there because it's so easily accessible because you can go just about anywhere and grab a drink. And I think that makes alcohol extremely dangerous. Now, that doesn't mean I I would like to see outlawed or banned or anything like that. People should do whatever the hell they want to do. I, I'm one of the 
I, my political belief is that we should be allowing people to shoot up heroin if that's what they want to do. If you want to do cocaine, go do cocaine. Just don't invade anybody else's safety. And if you do that, then you have to suffer the consequences of that. I really like where you're going with this. I, I did not have that idea in mind, but I like it a lot. Yeah. And again, being a metaphor, and I thought maybe it was anxiety or something, but you're right. The whole film was riddled with references to alcohol. I, and that's how I saw it is like yeah. this, this monster was indirectly, she was indirectly killing thousands of other people. And it was starting to catch up to her, this idea of, oh shit, my behavior has all these other consequences. Meanwhile, there's this other guy who's still drinking and you know, everyone's like, dude, stop, you know, lay off the drinking. She even asks him to stop drinking late night and he doesn't do it. And he doesn't care about all of the people that he's hurting. So I do think that there's an interpretation there of the film that, um, I, I think I could at least make a, a few decent arguments. I don't know anything about the, the film in terms of the intention of the, the writer director and, um, and in the people involved, but that was my reading of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you did you see any other metaphors as you were watching it? Did you feel no? Like- and again, I'm very big with metaphor, and I keep going back to just uh, internalizing with the anxiety that was going on. But again, like I said earlier, it worked for me where they explained, okay, why is there this link? Mm-hmm. This link, if the story is true, if it really is happening, and she's not delusional, if we're buying into the story with the um, the little made out of paper, the city. You know, mm-hmm. of soul and what the guy did to it, the little boy and smashing it and so on. And I understood that that transference. It, I, I bought into it. Mm-hmm. I bought into it again. Even if we pitched the idea, like it sounds like something like a, a nerd in a speech in a speech in a, a screenwriting one one class would pitch this these three sentences yeah. and it would be, oh Jesus God. But again, it worked. This I like this movie a lot. Yeah. I like this movie a lot. It's one of my favorite films that I've seen with you since we've been doing this podcast. And, um, yeah, I think it was, um, and I don't want to overdo this point, but it was so refreshing after the shit that we saw last week Mm. that you saw a movie that was smart and it took its time with a compelling story that worked. It really did take its time. And I, I like that. And one of the things that I think also made this film work was the humanness of all of it. The idea of, uh, of the blow up match. I, I don't know if I ever told you about this. But I used to, when I first moved out to Los Angeles, um, I was poor. And when I say poor, I mean, like, I was really poor. I was sleeping out of my car, and uh, I was broke, broke. And there was a, a buddy of mine who was living with his brother, and he asked his brother if I could stay with him, too. And all of us were over 6'5". That was the shortest height. I was, I think... I think I might have been the second shortest, but we were all like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, so huge dudes. And we were living in this tiny one-bedroom apartment. We were just tripping over each other. And the only spot that really made any sense for me to stay there uh, was right next to the trash can in the kitchen. And they, uh, the guy that I was staying with had a blow-up mattress that I could use, and I would blow it up. And the problem was it was a little bit old, and it would start to... Every night it would deflate. And so by about two or three in the morning, my ass would hit the ground. And, uh, and every night before I went to bed, I'd have to shh, 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 blow up this fucking air mattress. And then it would always like, and then I would patch it. And then the patch would start to leak. And eventually, uh, cause I was so poor, I couldn't afford anything, but I, I eventually, I remember going to Kmart. This is so bad. 
I went to Kmart and I bought a brand new air mattress. I bought the state of the art, had the pump, had everything. I bought it, took it back to, uh, to the house, blew it up, took my old air mattress, rolled it up, put it in the box and took it back to Kmart. Fuck you. <laughs> That's awful, isn't hey, it? Should I remind you, Robert, the national speech tournament where you competed that you got an air mattress and you used it for four nights and Gene and I had to go back and Yeah, but you know what that was at least the at same. At least it was the same one. Same. Even though you said that. that happens all the time. They know that that happens, but switching it out, I was uh what but a fucker. I, those were hard times, man. Those were rock hard times. Yeah. Yeah, so take it out on a corporation. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I don't deny that was a really uh, fucking dickhead move to do, but it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to the movie. Uh, What else do you think about with this movie? Why don't people like Anne Hathaway? I think she's too smiley. She's there, a lot of people don't like her, and I, I did read. I shouldn't have done this. I won't do this from now on. But I did read a couple reviews, and some people thought that um, I thought she was quite good in this movie. Yeah. I thought she was really believable. And I think she's a terrific actress. Uh, a few people have commented that um, do you know Anna Kendrick? Do you know who yeah. she is? Anna? That she has that that uh, spunky look about her, and she maybe would have been even better to play the lead. Probably. I could see I can Anna Kendrick. See that. You do know who she is. Yeah, right? I know yeah. Anna Kendrick. Yeah, but yeah. I think. Um, I, I agree. I think probably part of what it was for me when I was watching the movie is I noticed that Anna Hathaway, she, she the way she smiled was so genuine and her eyes lit up. And to play this kind of role, to play a, a drunk, I, I feel like every alcoholic that I've met, any any person, male or female, but especially the female alcoholics I've met, really hate themselves. Deep down, there's a part of themselves that just... They're really disgusted with themselves, and a lot of times they lash out at other people, and they spread that hatred to others. And sometimes it can be quite charming, but a lot of times it's just kind of, um, there's a lot of just uh, some, some gross feelings going on. And I didn't feel like that from Anne Hathaway in this movie. That doesn't mean to say that she didn't do a good job acting. I think she did, and she carried the film just fine. But I feel like, uh, and there were some scenes that were, that were really, she, she captured that, but... I feel like she was very smiley and almost seemed like she was having a good time. Like mm-hmm. she, she had self-respect and I think a, the character probably wasn't written to have self-respect, but I'm sure, I mean, if you get Anne Hathaway to act in your movie, you better jump on that chance to get Anne Hathaway to act in your movie. Oscar winner. Yeah. Yeah. For Les Mis. Yeah. Was she, it Les Mis? Yeah. She won supporting, supporting actress. And I do think, uh, part of what made her more believable in this movie, honestly, was the bangs. She had an awful haircut in this movie, and it just made her very believable. Uh, that's one of the things that always bothers me, is really, really beautiful people playing common, everyday folk. And I think they did a really nice job of, of with the hair and kind of toning down some of the makeup. And, and the, what about her clothes, Robert? The pants, the right. jeans... She was in a not attractive attire, right. which made it better. And all of that just made it so much more believable. believable. And yet, she, I mean, her character was supposed to be pretty hot. And we could see that. So I, I, I think in that regard, she was well cast. Uh, but uh, the idea of... I, I just didn't feel like that, that she ever really truly hated herself. There was never a reason 
to constantly go to the bottle, you know, and, and, and drink. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't buy that mm-hmm. from the character, but I think that's maybe looking a little too deep. That's not really what the movie was about. I don't think, I think it was more about how we, I think it was about how we use substance and also about how we, how we're responsible for the actions that we have, even if those actions are indirectly responsible for, you know, the death of someone else, you know? Have you ever heard of the trolley experiment before? No. The trolley experiment is a, a psychological thought experiment where if you imagine there's a, a trolley coming down a set of train tracks and it's going at full speed and the brakes are broken and you're standing at this switch. So let's imagine that the trolley is going down the train tracks and it, if you switch it, uh, it could go a different direction. And it could go into tunnel A if you leave it alone and don't touch the switch. Or if you pull the switch, it'll go into tunnel B. Now, down tunnel A are seven workers who are working on this tunnel. If the train goes down, you know all seven people will die. If you switch it and move it over to tunnel B, then there are two workers down there and two people will die. The question now becomes, are you morally responsible for indirectly like just allowing these seven people to die if you don't throw the switch which, which is better oh you're saying it, it, is it is it sometimes wrong to intervene is that what you're yes. saying yes i you're, mean if you not, if you intervene if you intervene you're affecting people's the, lives right and if you didn't it just is yes but i i think i could argue that you're more you're still morally responsible for those seven people because you could have saved right, right those seven people and only two people could have died. So is it, is it the idea that if you have the chance to save people that you should, are we morally responsible towards saving people's lives? uh, If we, if we're given the chance, right. Right. Now, obviously at some point we have to call that, we have to call an end to that. You know, we can't devote our entire lives to saving some, you know, kids in Botswana and we have to be able to, to live our own lives. We can't, focus everything on others. It would be great if we could, but it's just not the reality of the world that we live in. But I do think that this film is calling attention to the fact that, I mean, people are, are dying because of actions that we have. So are we morally responsible for that? Consequences. Yeah. That's where you're going at. Yeah. Like the consequences of our actions. Yeah. Yeah. And that we're all connected. Well, I don't know if it's so much we're all connected, but the consequences of our actions, as you could have said. Yeah. Yeah. I really love your take on the alcoholism. Thanks, man. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Are there any thoughts that you had about the movie? You, other thoughts? Additional Anything thoughts? Anything else? Yeah. What do you think about that sub story, the B story, where she, um, Anne Hathaway's character slept with the, uh, the good looking kid? Uh, did we need that? Whole I don't thing? think we needed it. I suspect that, that I suspect that might have played more into a larger storyline that maybe got trimmed for time. I can mm-hmm. see that happening. Yeah, yeah. And then if they cut that section, then all of a sudden it winds up becoming too short of a film. Right. So they might have left certain elements right. in and cut other elements out. I can see that happening. Yeah. But you see my point that it was not necessary was not to necessary. the beginning, middle, or end of the uh, of the storyline. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I think the other thing to consider though is. Did it make the film a little better? Yeah, there was some stuff in there that was a little stronger. I could see that being in there. His character, that kid she slept with, was kind of wimpy, wasn't he? He just like went along with yeah. things. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, I kept expecting for him to have, grow a backbone and, and I did to too. intervene. I and did say, too. Where's his growth? Yeah. And I say, thought he was Oscar, you can't be doing moment. this. Yeah. Yep. And it's interesting that he didn't. Yeah. I know. Um, I also think, and again, this is some nitpicking, but at the end of the film with the, um, the Koreans, the citizens of Seoul, Korea, were still in the street at the right time, knowing there's a reasonable chance that the that monsters... That was my problem with it, Robert, too. This is, by the way, we did not... Robert and I did not say one word to each other, which I really like. What the that fuck was, are these people still doing in the street? You're in your fucking homes or so, leave oh wait, the city. We should make this clear to the okay, listening right, audience. Go, yeah, if you explain. haven't seen the movie, then uh, the monsters only appear for <laughs> a few minutes in Korea. And then they... You know, Anne Hathaway and, and, uh, and uh, Jason Sudeikis come back the next day and reappear as these monsters the following day. So the first two or three days, it kind of makes sense that there would be people in Korea who might get killed by a falling monster. But by day three or four, you're expecting that all right, Seoul's going to clear out. No one's going to be left there. It's just gonna, let's get the fuck out because these monsters aren't appearing anywhere else. They're only appearing in Seoul. But, but it seems to be like, what, day seven oh, or eight? I was going to say seven. I was just about to say seven. Yeah. Let's just say seven or eight. Who knows? Maybe even nine. And the citizens of Seoul, Korea, were out in the streets. They're still they're standing there with umbrellas, watching this monster. I appear. know you'd want to hide or leave. You get the, the fuck city. out. Now I could understand. Uh, you know, there's a great scene in in uh, Independence Day where all of the there's all these people that go up to the roof of these buildings as the aliens are coming down and they're going, "Welcome, you know, join us," and that kind of thing. I can understand people rushing to Seoul to try to. Uh, research or to uh, with a death wish or something like that. You know, these people that are are thrill seekers who would want to be around the robot and the monster. But that's not what was happening. These were kids that were oh, running. Kids, little boys, all the, the girls on the street. There seemed to be no parents. There were tons of military, but there was yeah, seemed to there be no military. control over there any of the police. citizens. They were all out. There. No control of the citizens. Why were they there? I think that was a flaw in the movie. That yeah. logically they wouldn't be there. They'd be hiding. I'm also wondering if Anne Hathaway's character would be able to fly into Seoul with that what was, was going that on. That crossed my mind as Did well. Did that cross your mind, Robert? Yeah. yeah. That I would think it's it's restricted. You can't fly there. It's yeah. dangerous. No, we're not going to land an airplane in that city. So I was wondering about those two points as far as the credibility of the storyline. Two, two beats. Um, I, I do think I mean, we have to turn a, a blind eye towards giving them some... I mean, look, we just... We did the same thing with... Uh, the Fate of the Furious last week. I tried to give them a few breaks, but they just, they they stomped all over it. You know, you, you give films a, a little bit of leeway with that. Especially in the last third of a movie. Right. You're allowed to wiggle in the last third. If it's if been set up well. the first two thirds were set up right. Yeah. It, it's like you've earned it. Right. You've earned right. the ability to kind of, all right, right, well, let's right. fudge that. Yep. Yeah. You know, uh, something else that I really liked about this movie it, did, it didn't make any sense, but speaking about things that didn't quite make sense, I really liked it. I loved Oscar's monologue about the fireworks and then blowing up the fireworks in his bar. Did you like that scene? I did. I did. I love good monologues in movies, especially when they fit in right. organically. It's organic, right. And this one really did. And it, it was just a short, I mean, it was probably, what, like a minute and a half, two minutes, something like that. But it was, it was really nice. It was a good monologue. And then he sets off this fire. I'm glad he told Joe to leave. Yeah. A guy, a patron of the restaurant, at the bar with coffee, remember? Yeah. He said, you might want to leave, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. 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 No, that was a strong beat in the film. 
What were we going to say? Do you have other notes? No. Yeah. Um, Something else that bothers me. She got a black eye. Mm Mm-hmm. And in the very last couple shots, I didn't mind it because it seemed to be toned down a little bit. But I rarely see black eyes done well. They're always so purple. And I feel like going to a good makeup school, doing a black eye... They're never done very well. It's always so big and puffy, and most black eyes are not that way. Go, go Google black eye, and then you'll see the ones that are like big and they're like shiners. You're like, man, that's makeup. That's not real. The ones that are real are just a little bit of underneath the eye, you know, a little bit of purple or something like that. Maybe some red in the eye. And I think in the last few shots, she got that right, but. And I can always sense the editors trying to cut around the bad makeup job. And I felt like this movie did have a little bit of that. She hmm. got that black eye. Did you notice that at I all? Didn't. I didn't. I bought the back, the black eye. Yeah. I, it's, a, it's a trope that I always look yeah. for. And once you start looking for it, you'll never unsee it. And it, it bothers me every time I see somebody get a black eye. They could get hurt so many other places. And you don't need a black eye. You could get cut across the face or something like that. It's so much easier to do makeup-wise. So if there's any young filmmakers out there, or old filmmakers, if there's any filmmakers out there who are emerging and they're about to hurt their characters, don't go with a black eye. Cause I guess it's dramatic, isn't it? Yeah, but you know what? It's, it's overly dramatic. Right, right. You don't need... I mean, that was the beauty of Chinatown. That was dramatic. He cut his nose, right? And then he moves... He, the rest of the, the movie, he's got this big bandage <laughs> know, over his know, nose. That makes sense. Yeah. It worked. And in fact, it became kind of iconic. Absolutely. But you look at all these other movies with these crazy black eyes that aren't realistic. It's just all this purple makeup. You can see it. It, it doesn't work. Right. Right. Now, something that happened when we bought the tickets for this movie, we were supposed to see it with subtitles on. And there were no subtitles in the movie. You didn't notice that, right? I completely forgot that. The, yeah, I, I mentioned to you it. it said that on their website mm-hmm. that it's with the English subtitles and there weren't any what was up with that do you watch movies with subtitles I know you like movies with English subtitles yeah and uh, so does one of my writing partner Eric he told me that when he watches movies at home Eric's been on know, the podcast yeah Eric from a few weeks ago and um, he wants to come back by the way and do another one no, but him. we don't want him there though no fuck that guy I know no. um, but I think Eric does it because he's losing his hearing oh <laughs> But you know what I like about it? I, I can appreciate the writer more. When I see the, the, the text of what they've written but on doesn't the doesn't it pull screen. you out? Doesn't it distract no. you? Remind you you're watching a movie? No. It doesn't do that? No, not at all. I, I, part of it, too, is I can understand what they're saying. Sometimes these actors mumble their way through their lines, and I can't understand what the fuck they're talking about. So seeing the text on the screen actually helps me understand what they're discussing. I don't. I don't buy that argument. It's like seeing a foreign film with text on the screen. I don't. I don't look at the text and go. I have no idea what they're talking. Right. You know. I, I. I can't focus on the storyline because I keep looking at the words. That doesn't bother me. Yeah. It didn't bother me the other night when I was watching Chambermaid in German. Yeah. And it had subtitles throughout. And I was. You're right. I did not feel removed from the movie. It's an interesting experience. I can it, understand when people at first don't like it. But after a little while, you start to get used to it, and, um, and it really helps. It helps me understand what they're talking about. It helps me absorb deeper. But it also helps me appreciate the writer a lot more and how they've written some of these lines. Well, maybe they should just project a screenplay 
up on the screen. You could just read it that way. Well, I think you're making pages. a joke, but uh, I wouldn't even be opposed to that. <laughs> would, would no, I mean, not just, just the screenplay, but I'm <coughs> saying like the, the screen direction and things like that. I wouldn't yeah, mind that yeah. as the movie's playing, you have that underneath. I know that's kind of not exactly what you were talking about. I think you were saying, let's just, I was trying to be funny. Uh, it didn't work. Let's leave the funny to me. Hey, uh, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> you know, there were very few coming attractions. Did you notice that? There were two. Yeah. Not and, like seven. Yeah, but I think that was the theater that we went to. I we think went so to too. a, a yeah. very indie small theater. Love that theater. Yeah. Um, something else I like about this movie is that it didn't seem like it was too cute for its own good. Uh, some of these films that have a magical component to it, um, sometimes like um, like Sunshine for the Spotless Mind, Sunshine for the Spotless Mind, that is a good example of, it was so cute. And I, I know I'm supposed to like that film, but I, I didn't. I've seen it three or four times, and every time I, I'm always like, you're trying too hard. It wasn't self-conscious. Is that right? Is that it, it's like it, it was. It wasn't conscious that it was self-conscious. It's like it was like uh, so many layers deep. It was. It was trying to be self-conscious, but it wasn't self-conscious that it was trying to be self-conscious. Okay, well, I'm sleepy. <laughs> I need a nap. But I don't. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, it, that's the movie a, was not self-consciously cute. It could have. All right. It it was. It was. It was trying to be. Kitsy wootsy. You disagree? Well, when it needed to be. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotlight. No, Spot. that's what's going on here. I'm talking about the movie we just saw. That's oh. the mo- now. We're, now we're communicating. This, yes. Yes. This movie was not self-conscious. Was not self-conscious. Agreed. Yes. Well, we really cleared that up, didn't we? Yeah, that yeah. was the confusion. We almost had a mismatch, mm. a breakdown of communication. Good thing we mentioned it. No, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes. That movie. Was too cute right. for its own right. good. Right. But this movie wasn't. I, I know. And something else I like about this movie, it had a short film beforehand. What was up with that? I like it. I know. I did too. You know, I got to tell you that for the first two minutes, I thought we were watching the feature film. But you <laughs> thought that was the movie? I thought it was the beginning. Yeah, I did. Because I knew that distributor was Neon, Neon Films. Yeah. And Neon happened to do the short as well as the feature film. Yeah. So when I saw their logo, I made an assumption that the movie's starting. But why is the aspect ratio on the screen so small? It was like a box. Physically. Yeah. It, it was like a yeah. more vertical than it right. was horizontal. Right. It almost right. felt That's like right. they shot it on a phone or yeah. something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that was... Uh, it was quite funny. It, it, I really liked it. I, I've said this for years... I really wish we would get back into the habit of showing short films because it's such a great avenue to find new filmmakers and give new filmmakers a voice. And all these great short films that are out there that aren't being seen by people, it didn't take that long. It took, what, three, four minutes right. just to throw a quick little short film up there and give somebody a little... I mean, it was it matched in theme for the movie. It was in, not theme, but like a, in tone, I should say. It was kind of... Uh, uh, real world, but also kind of a little irreverent and and funny. It worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pop culture mm-hmm. obsession with our devices, selfies, and so on, and it was a good, good short. Yeah, it was, it was funny. It was well written. I I really enjoyed yeah. this short film. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, money shots. Money shots. Mm-hmm. See, 
I have two. Do you, what, do you, what do you have? Um, I think the shot with uh, Jason Sudeikis like, pounding his feet into the ground when he is purposefully yeah. trying to kill people in Seoul and, uh, and Anne Hathaway looking on in the distance. I, I think that was a really nice money shot for me. And it, it just held for so long, and we could really see everyone... Um, being killed in Seoul without ever leaving the playground. Well said. Very true. Yeah. All right, now I have three. I'm going to steal yours as uh-uh. well. That was quite a moment, yeah. What else you got? Well, the money shot for me was... Um, it was when she's realizing that she is indeed controlling the gestures and body language of the mm. monster. And we have the TV in the background, mm. and we see her in the foreground, and we see her arms going up in the air. Yeah. And then... Hands down, the monster replicates what she just did. Right. So they use that in the trailer, too. And uh, that was certainly a, a money shot for me. There was a cool little... Sh- oh, what you had? I have another one. Okay. So I actually, I actually have three. So that the first one was the ground pounding. Right, right. The second one for me would be when... Uh, in, in the very early... I think it was right before the title card, when all of Anne Hathaway's friends have been waiting for her boyfriend to leave the apartment, and they all come running in. They're like, oh, man, I thought the guy would never leave. And they yeah, start setting yeah. up the party. And Anne Hathaway realizes that she's being kicked out of this apartment, and she's just sitting there staring straight ahead. And the camera kind of settles on her, and we realize, all right, you're fucked. Oh, that's right. Her face was in the foreground yeah. with all the people arriving and interacting behind her. But we lingered on her face. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great shot. And even though it wasn't the first shot of the film, <clears throat> it felt like the first shot of the mm-hmm. film. Uh, it's like we it needed to been. know that. It could have been. We needed to know that story in order for that moment to really have made sense, but it felt like the first shot of the film, the mm-hmm. emotional first yes. shot. Yes. And I'm going to jump in because I know you were about to say one, but, but I'm going to link it to that. My, my last money shot was the last shot of the film. Anne Hathaway's face as she's being asked, do you want a drink? And then this look of on her face of like... Like kind of disappointment. I really like that. And are you assuming that she she passed on the alcohol? Are I you? think she took the alcohol. I think she took it, but she's exasperated with herself that she did take it. That's what I think. Oh, the cycle continues. Yeah. The cycle continues. I would say so. Well, Mr. Debbie Downer. Yeah. Yeah. It, She's back. It was reminiscent of the money shot that we had from Nocturnal Animals with the, um, with uh, what's her name's character, Amy Adams' character, taking the drink there at the end of Nocturnal Animals. Do you remember that? I sure do, but she wasn't an alcoholic. No, but I, right. just it's similar kind right, of, right, I, I don't right, know, there right. was something there that was yeah, kind of reminding me of that. She was nursing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what, what did you say? There was just, and it, it was not a significant, for me it was, where she was. Um, exacerbated with what was going on. She rolled herself up. It was at the sleeping bag. In the, you remember that? Yeah. And then I think she tossed her cell phone out, right? Uh-huh. And then she unraveled on the floor. Yeah. And just, but it was just a cool moment of... She became resigned to just, okay, yes. I'm going to wrap myself in this little cocoon and I'll just go to bed. And then she gets an idea and unravels herself and decides to catch that flight to Seoul. Yeah. By the way, one last thing I want to say this too that it with the climax of the movie where she's on the phone with the first boyfriend mm-hmm. um and and she says to him about getting her life in he says getting your life in order she says I'm out of order, I'm out mm-hmm. of control. I thought the line should be I'm in control. My life is in order. 
I thought that should have been flipped hmm. because of what she was about to do, flying to Seoul Korea to do the right thing to stump out the... Yeah. Know. That's an interesting... Isn't it? Now, I almost wonder if she knew how it was going to play out because... Mm-hmm. I, That's a real good point. No, there was no guarantee that she knew how, so maybe she was flailing yeah. and just out of order. But, and, and just trying but to... that was actually the one time where she grabbed life and took charge. So for that argument, she was in control right. and in order. Yeah. Anyway, just a little... She nice. did fly all the way to Seoul to try to, to try to stop the whole thing. Right, and succeeded. Yeah. yeah. I right. like this movie. I did too. Yeah. What would you give it, Robert? Um, now, are we going to go with bananas, apples, five stars? What were some of the others we had? One, oh, a grade, one, a letter one to grade. Five. One to five, one to ten. A letter grade, you know, being educators. Having been edu- or, uh, or do you want to talk about apples and bananas? I would give it... <laughs> um, the letter R. <laughs> uh, I give it an A minus. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you would give it? Yep. I feel like you uh, might have liked this a little bit more than I, I think did. I do too. Well, I was I was struggling with an A. I was first going to think of say a B plus, but I'm at A minus. I'm I'm matching you on. Okay. I really liked it, and it was one of my favorite movies that we've seen. It. Yeah, this and you're now I feel about uh, nocturnal emissions. emissions. <laughs> you said that news. Old joke, huh? Yeah. Yeah, this is right. Uh, these were my two favorite films that we've seen together. Nocturnal Emissions and uh, Colossal. <laughs> yeah, Colossal. Colossal Emissions. All right, well, good. Go check out Colossal then. It feels good to actually be able to recommend a movie, don't you think? How about that? There have been some stinkers yeah. out there. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think I liked a lot more of the films that we've seen. I like Moonlight. Absolutely. I think I, I liked Absolutely. Moonlight a little bit more than you did, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, there's there's been some good stuff, but I it's it, it's been a while since we've been blown away by something. I respected this movie. I just respect respect it. They yeah. what I really I think you're right. Respect is a good word for it. They were really trying to do something here, yeah. and they pulled it off. And they they made a good movie, and hopefully they'll get some money for it. How did they get Anne Hathaway? That's a good. question. How did they get her in this little movie? I don't know. A lot of dick sucking. <laughs> On her part. Ah, yes. Uh, all right. Well, let's move into the top five, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Now, should you go first or should I go first? Um, who usually? We usually alternate that too, don't we? Yeah. Who should go first? I don't know. Should I go, I'll go first? But, you know, again, I want to take a moment out, if I may. Mm-hmm. First of all, defining terms. Uh-uh. Here we I go. I know. Well, you know, friendly. All right. We got to talk about friendly monsters. Yeah. Top five friendly all right. monsters. First, I was having trouble with the word friendly. Uh, meaning benevolent? Is this a monster that goes around hugging people? Mm-hmm. Like, is it like a neighbor next door? Or is it just a monster that's not malevolent, that's not evil and doesn't kill people? Benevolent. Benevolent. What did I say? Benevolent. Yeah, benevolent. Yeah. What's that? Mal- malevolent. Ma- malevolent, right, right. Not malevolent, not which malevolent. is benevolent. Right, which is the devil, yes. Right. Defining friendly and also, of course, the word monster. Now, I did spend a lot of time on this too much time, but I take my job very seriously, Robert. And monsters often fit one of these two characteristics. They have to be either large and or grotesque. Either large and or grotesque. Okay. Being a monster, and I think that's reasonable. Let me do some... I have quite a few scoops. Let me do this. I know All you right. roll your eyes. I Here know, we but go. a lot of these I did not see, and I know... Well, wait a minute. Don't I know, say so them then, back, because I, you might be seeing some of mine. That's a good point you're making. Yeah, I'll deal with it, motherfucker. So... <laughs> Well, maybe at least say movies that I you know, have that you've seen. Oh, well, in that case, you're limiting to me five. No, okay. All right. Let me tell you the ones I've seen, 
that are going to be my ice cream scoops. That's what I'm saying. You, if right. you've seen it, then yeah. I'll take it. All right, all right. Yeah. Well, I did see not the remake with live action, but the animation of Beauty and the Beast, and I thought that could that could yeah. fit. I could. Um, I tried so hard, Robert, to get the movie Weird Science, where they create this beautiful mm. woman, and I I spent I was obsessing on this at three in the morning. Could this be a monster? No, she's too beautiful. She's too beautiful. I wanted to come up. And even Hellboy. I thought about Hellboy. And he was basically a good guy. I think that would count. Yeah, one chomping on a cigar and wanting to kill these But that was really a superhero. He's in. He's a a monster. Yeah. He was a monster. And the last one. And and, and also, then I thought, well, what about Eraserhead? Now, Hmm. was that a friendly? Friendly. no, No. But it didn't. Harm or it was just there, just as Bob. So those are my thanks for letting me do my scoops. Let's get started. All right. Number, Number five. five. Shrek. Shrek. Interesting. Animation Shrek and uh, uh, not malicious, uh, an ogre, an ogre and um, antisocial. Yeah. Antisocial. Uh, didn't have friends, but yeah, he not did. Donkey. He did he, have as a donkey yeah. as it went on. And he smelled funny. But he was still the. He but he was still, I think, a friendly monster. I think you're right. Shrek. And he also grows to, to get friends. Absolutely. Right? So he becomes, Absolutely. He grows. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think in the end, he definitely is friendly. Yeah. I would count yeah. that for sure. Thank you. Good job. And your number five, Robert. My number five. Now this is where we're going to get into. I think we're going to get into a little like. Now wait a minute. Are we going to overlap? First of all, I love asking you that question. What's your prediction with our five? Do you think we'll have any overlap? If we overlap, I think it's going to be on this one. I agree. I agree. I've got this weird feeling Uh-oh. that you're going to say my number. F- Go ahead. Go ahead. My number five is Terminator 2. No. No? No. All right. Now, I know he's a robot, but I would argue he's really a monster. I mean, he's a, you were saying before, he, they're either large or grotesque. And he is definitely large. Is he? Well, he's huge, right? And in the eyes of Linda Hamilton, he's a monster. Okay. And that's all she's raised her son to believe and everything else that you know this kid or this this monster is coming. This monster is coming. So I think it's a little a little loose there, but I feel like hmm. he that was monster. a friendly monster. You're saying that anyone who kills people would be a monster by definition. Um hmm. That's sort of what you're implying, Robert. Well, well, maybe I could go back and find some serial killers that were uh, friend, like American <laughs> Psycho or something. Uh, no, but I do, I do think that Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in in Terminator Two, I think he's a, it's he's like a friendly monster. Um, it, it it very much seems like one of those. Look, the movie we saw today, it was a monster and a robot. I think they're they're so similar. Yeah. That's my my fudge on number we'll five. We'll let it go. We'll, right. we'll let it go. All right. Now you. This might be a Terminator fudge. One was my is my number four. Terminator Three ah. is my number. No, <laughs> my number four. I think you might have. You might call me on this. Okay. Et. No, I would agree with that. You would. Yeah. An alien, yes. But if you saw Et walking on Wilshire Boulevard, no, I would definitely. You'd say, ugh, ugh, monster, monster, grotesque. I'll take it. Grotesque, even though supposedly it had Einstein's eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you heard that the Einstein's eyes. And uh, they they captured it. They tortured it. They killed it. They brought it back to life. And then it went to heaven, just like someone we know. <laughs> just like just like just like Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. There's a reference to it. I think that it was. Um, 
uh, a, a, obviously he was a friendly monster. Yeah, I think you're right. Cool. Nice. Uh, okay, my number four. Gremlins. Oh. Now, the gremlins are obviously but not friendly, not- but Gizmo was. Ah, Gizmo. Gizmo is a friendly monster. Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, that the ending when he gets dressed up like Rambo and, uh, and saves the day and... He he drives around the little Barbie, uh, little Barbie car. Do you remember the little Barbie scene where he's uh, driving around? Yep. The, all of that, the whole sequence with Gizmo. As a kid, I loved Gizmo because he was saving the day. I also love Spike, the the big bad gremlin as well. But I really like Gremlin. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. We're not disputing each other's this yeah. time. We're, uh, all yeah. right. Uh, my number three. How to Train Your Dragon. Okay. Do you remember? Did you see that? Yep, the animation? I and I really liked it. I liked it. It's my favorite movie of that year. Yeah. It was. I thought it was so satisfying. This was in 2010. It was in, I saw it in 3D theater in Bakersfield. And there's a reason why it has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. It was really a good, good story. Yeah. And uh, there were some surprises, some twists in the third act. And um, that uh, dragon was definitely a, um, a, a friendly monster. It really it was part of that era of when all of these digital movies coming out, the digital animation movies were all just phenomenal. Do you know what I'm saying? They I just sure do. all kicked ass. Yep. Yep. And it was a span for about 10 years. I'd say where just every digital animation film that came out, everyone was going, this is fucking amazing. Right. Especially right. Pixar. And I think, uh, how to train your dragon was DreamWorks. I think, I think so. But DreamWorks was holding their own too. Yep. Everything that was coming out was the, I can't remember very much trash coming out that way. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Nice one. My and number th- you're number three. My number three is a movie that I don't think you've seen. And I don't even know if you know about. Whoa. In fact, um, the only person I really know that has seen this is actually uh, my old co-host for this podcast, Rocio. She actually knows this movie because uh, I would talk about it occasionally and she would know it and be able to quote lines. Drop Dead Fred. Have you seen this movie? No. With Phoebe Cates? Oh, my gosh. It's it's uh, about a girl who suffers a, it's about a woman, I should say, who suffers a kind of psychotic breakdown. And she goes back home to live with her mom. And as she goes back home, her, her invisible friend comes back into her life. And her invisible friend was always getting her in trouble when she was a child. And no one else can see this invisible friend. But his, his name is Fred, and Fred always got her to do bad, awful things. Well, now she's older, and Fred is trying to get her to do the, all these bad, awful things. And he's like, hey, you're older now. We can do so much more. We're, you know, create all this debauchery and everything. And she's friends with him, but she has to learn how to put that side of her life away. And it's kind of an adult growing up tale. Where's the monster? Fred. Fred. Fred, Fred, Fred is the monster. What does Fred look? Fred. Uh, he's he? he's an invisible friend. So, yes. uh, so you can't. Is he either large or grotesque? He's definitely grotesque. I mean, he's a, he's a disgusting slob of a human. It. Got it's it. Just like a Got it. gross, gross. Yeah, I'm sorry. I probably should have mentioned that. But he's he just does everything that's disgusting in life. So he's he's a monster. Plus, he's an invisible friend. I think that kind of makes him a magical monster. Go oh, with okay. me. I'll give. You I think that. it kind of yeah, counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number two. Mm-hmm. My number two. I was thinking about the entire Frankenstein franchise. Mm. No, that wasn't even... However, of all the Frankenstein movies, mm-hmm. Young Frankenstein... I knew Young Frankenstein was going to be on your list. I would have you put really money that? on you it. You really know that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where um, 
he he was really he he was misunderstood and he was very clumsy. Uh-huh. Putting on the Ritz. <laughs> da, 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 da. Okay. I'm sorry. What, I, my uh, my yeah, phone's cut. What did you say? Joke. Somebody putting on the Ritz. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. My headphones cut. the Ritz. One more time. No, no. I just can. I could. All right. Enough. Enough. <laughs> clumsy, misunderstood. Uh, but sweet and kind. That's my second yeah. favorite one. I, I, I These think, are good that we're coming up with. I like, yeah. I, I you, definitely. You think, knew I was going to have that one. Yeah. You? And I, if I didn't know it was going to be on yours, it might have been on mine. I, I, I really like that movie. And it, he was a friendly monster. Yeah. Absolutely. My number two could not be more friendly monster. Little Monsters. Have you seen Little Monsters? I, I'm aware of it. I never saw it. With Fred Savage. I actually own it if you want to borrow it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really good. It's a good, uh, you know, growing up in the 80s, it, Fred Savage was, every kid kind of identified with Fred Savage because he was he was so wisecracking and he kind of saw the world very, very clearly in all, all of his movies with like uh, The Wonder Years, of course, and vice versa, and a lot of The, uh, the Princess Bride, a lot of those movies that he was in. And um, Howie Mandel plays a monster that helps him kind of get even with all these bullies and uh, and it shows him how to kind of uh, go through these portals into other people's rooms and houses, and it kind of takes him into this underworld of of monsters. And uh, and it's a it's a it holds up pretty well. It's it's a really nice kind of buddy movie. And of course, same kind of concept. He's got to move on and and move past having these kind of childish monsters in his life. It's a coming of age story. Nice. Yeah. There you go. Nice. What's your number one? Number one, friendly monster movie. Mm-hmm. King Kong. Mm. Let's go with the original. We could make the argument for all four of them, but I just want to go with the first one. Uh, King Kong was not organically evil and didn't want to hurt people only when threatened. Yeah. Having a temper only when threatened. And King Kong was actually very chivalrous in wanting to save the pretty girl. And I think that was part of the charm of the first movie in particular. Now, I want to say something because, okay, we were talking before, the monster has to be gigantic or grotesque. Right. So King Kong would qualify because he's a gorilla, but he's a gigantic gorilla, right? Robert, where are you going with this? Well, I'm just saying that some of the other ones that we've brought up before... I mean, with a robot, as I'm saying, there's a robot earlier for Terminator 2, and you're saying, I don't know if that quite counts... Well, he was a big robot, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger's huge. Yeah, but he's like 6'3". Uh, King Kong is how tall? Well, how big is huge? But... <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so now your premise in this conversation is that King Kong was not a monster. No, I'm saying he is a monster. I think he counts. Then I have to give you slack with yeah. your example, too. Yeah. Got it. So when these mics power down, I don't want to hear yeah, any I understand. bullshit. That's ah. what I'm saying. <laughs> That's my number one. Uh, my number your one. Your number one. I don't know if you saw this movie, but I think you would really, really like it. Um, my number one is a sequel to Monsters Inc. Monsters University. Did you see Monsters Inc.? No. Did you see Monsters University? No. Hmm. I think you would like it. And here's why I ranked it so high it's a good movie. It's Pixar. You know it's going to be good. It's got some really funny. Characters, things like that. Okay, that's great. All the, the jokes hit. I was laughing. Really enjoyed it. But what happens in this movie, I have rarely, if ever, seen in a kid's movie, 
and it's really fascinating. So I'm going to spoil the end of the movie for you. So I, I hope you don't mind, but I'm, I am going to spoil it. The, uh, the movie centers on the Mike and Sully, the, the two characters from Monsters, Inc. I'm sure you've seen who I'm talking, the characters, like the big kind of purple Absolutely. monster yes. and sure. the short little sure. um, green guy. Okay, so they are trying to make their way through Monster University so they can learn how to become scarers. And so they can get this job. It's actually a prequel to Monsters, Inc. It's like, how did they come up and uh, get, the, get the job of becoming a scarer? And the, um, the, the big purple character, he winds up cheating. And in the process, uh, the little green guy has helped him cheat. And by the end of the film, they're trying to cover their cheating tracks. And at the end of the movie, they're caught. And this is where things got really, really interesting because in the film they should have, um, they should have been somehow done something to be reinstated and go through and carry on with their college career. But instead, what happens is what actually should have happened, which is they got kicked out of college. They got kicked out of college because they cheated, and they said, "Sorry, you guys are really good, but we can't have that here ethically." They got kicked out of college. And then they went out and got jobs in the mailroom and worked their way up to the positions that they needed. And this is what was so interesting to me is look at what kind of message that sends to kids. It says, first of all, you don't necessarily need higher education. You can make your own way in this world and you don't need college. You need yourself and you can do it without all of this, you know, the big expense of ed- education and you, you have to be punished if you do bad things. And I, I, when I saw that, and there was no, like, uh, you know, bullshit, like, oh, it's okay, we'll forgive it, because technically you didn't break the rules. That's, all, that's movie bullshit. And I really felt like the ending of that movie was crafted very, very well. Boy, does this, does this tie in with two podcasts ago with going in style yeah. and the ending and that sense of entitlement that bothered both of us so much that they did bad things. And, but it's okay, because they're lovable. Yeah. And I'm telling you, go watch Monsters University just for the ending alone and go, oh, shit, look at that. And I could not be more proud of an ending to a film that I had nothing to do with. But I'm really glad that they ended it that way because they they cheated. They should go down. They should get kicked out of college. And you know what? You should grab your life by the bootstraps and, and work your way up. And that's exactly what they had to do. And it shows years of them. You know, plucking away. They start out in the mailroom, and then they work up to like you know cafeteria worker or whatever, and they keep moving up and up and up, and finally they get to where they're wanted wanting to be, and it just shows. Okay, we got to work really hard to get where you want. What a great message! So I I really like that film. I know. And by the way, I want to fess up to something. Remember Hmm. we started to do the top five a a little while ago, and I wanted to include a few movies I Mm -hmm. hadn't seen. Robert. Monsters, Inc. was very first, but I didn't see the movie. I'm glad you told me not to say it because that would have taken away yeah. your first choice. So you were right in asking me not to. I'm sorry, I was reference what? It. <clears throat> this time, you happened to be miraculously right. I'm sorry, I was. Uh, I was this time, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, hey, guess what? We had a did podcast. It. Did it. Just we the did two it. of us. All right. It would be alone with you. What'd you say? Nothing. It's nice to be alone with you. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, I guess that kind of does it for this week, doesn't it? It does it. Anything you want to add? No, I enjoyed this. Hey, yeah. well, if anybody out there is mm. listening and they want to talk about their top five friendly monsters, if you like our lists, if you want to add something, you have uh, a film that you feel like we left off, or you want to take umbrage with any of the monsters that we brought up, feel free to do so. You can send us an email to robert at moneyshotpodcast.net or... And or... Ira at moneyshotpodcast.net. Or you can send us a message through Twitter at moneyshotpod or a message through Instagram at moneyshotpodcast. Either of those will work. We're all over the place, aren't yeah. we? We're all over the place. And again, we want your feedback on the top five, what you thought about the movie we critiqued this, uh, for this session. Yeah, and tell uh, a friend about the podcast. Tell friends about it. Let people know. Uh, you can find us on uh, iTunes and uh, Stitcher, Google Play. Did you mention that? I didn't I mention that, but yeah. I'm glad you did. I'm going to mention it this time. And... Um, yeah, and so, or of course, on our regular website, yeah. Money Shop Podcast. That works too. Net. The and, World uh, Wide Web. So, any of that will work. Feel free to reach out and let us know what you think and, uh, and tell a friend and share the love. So, until next time, keep watching movies and we'll help you sort them out. <laughs> <laughs>